Cases are up 32% and deaths are up 12% over the past two weeks of the pandemic. But America's billionaires have made a combined trillion, yes, with a T, dollars in the last seven months of the pandemic. And it's been nearly three months since Americans could count on any pandemic relief from their government. This is America Dissected. I'm your host, Dr. Abdul Al-Sayed, and we are one week from Election Day. On Thursday, Joe Biden and Donald Trump debated for what was, thank God, the final time. This is what Joe Biden had to say about the pandemic. What I would do is make sure we have everyone encouraged to wear a mask all the time. I would make sure we move in the direction of rapid testing, investing in rapid testing. I would make sure that we set up national standards as to how to open up schools and open up businesses so they can be safe and give them the wherewithal, the financial resources to be able to do that. Smart, honest, sensible. And this is what Donald Trump had to say. It will go away. And as I say, we're rounding the turn. We're rounding the corner. It's going away. I want to be very clear about something. We are not turning the corner. We are falling off the damn cliff. Cases are up 32% over two weeks. And as I told you all last week, it was only a matter of time until deaths started to go the wrong way too. They're up 12% over the last two weeks. Hospitalizations are way up too, 40% over the last month. There's something important about the geography of COVID-19 right now that I cannot overemphasize. It's not just in a few large cities. It's literally everywhere. And where major cities like New York and Seattle have strong, capable hospital systems, many of the rural communities being hit hardest right now don't. Over the past few decades, rural hospitals have been forced to close across the country. That's because our healthcare system relies on lucrative elective surgeries, things like knee and hip replacements, to keep them afloat. Here's the problem, though. Because a large proportion of rural residents rely on Medicaid for healthcare, and because we don't fund Medicaid nearly as well as we should, because we openly discriminate against poverty in this country, Medicaid reimbursements are way lower than they should be. In our for-profit system, these hospitals don't generate much revenue, and they're forced to shut down. That leaves poor rural residents without healthcare, and what little healthcare they do get is often far away. Rural Americans have to drive hours to get to the nearest hospital, and it rarely has specialists. And that's a recipe for disaster as the pandemic bears down on these rural hospitals that are already underfunded, under-resourced, and understaffed. I worry a lot about what that will mean for COVID-19 mortality as ill-equipped hospitals in rural communities get overrun by the virus for the first time. That's why the real lowlight of the debate for Trump wasn't even his answer on COVID-19. It was his answer on healthcare. So I'd like to terminate Obamacare, come up with a brand new beautiful healthcare he doesn't have a plan. His only plan is to repeal Obamacare and then kick 30 million Americans irretrievably off their insurance in the middle of a pandemic. I had the opportunity to sit on Vice President Biden's Unity Healthcare Task Force, where I was one of the three Bernie Sanders appointees to an eight-person team. And I know for a fact that Biden's healthcare plan, though it's not Medicare for all, would offer free government health insurance to millions more Americans, especially those who got kicked off their private insurance because of the pandemic. Importantly, it would also reduce prescription drug prices by allowing the federal government to negotiate prices with pharma. It would reinvest in our healthcare workforce, including 100,000 public health workers through a public health service corps. That's a real plan. Now, if you know anything about me, you know I believe deeply in Medicare for All. The last two episodes of season one of this podcast are about that. And I even co-wrote a book about it that comes out in February. And though the Biden plan may not be Medicare for All, it's not just a step. It is a giant leap in that direction. But first, 
He's got to win. And we've got to vote. We've only got one week left. We talked to the person in charge of winning Wisconsin, one of the most important swing states for Joe Biden. Ben Wickler, chair of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, after the break. Our guest today is Ben Wickler. He is the chair of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin. Uh, Ben, thank you so much for making the time for us. It is so great to be with you, Abdullah. I'm really looking forward to our conversation because uh, you have really come into what is, I think, one of the spotlights of uh, this 2020 election in Wisconsin. And um, tell us how, how you feel right now. I feel like I'm on a roller coaster in the middle of an earthquake which happens to be in the middle of a pandemic, and we might have a blizzard. <laughs> Man, I um, I'm, I'm grateful that uh, that you're doing this work, and this is a harrowing time for democracy, both big D democracy and little D democracy. And you know, the big D democracy because obviously uh, you're running a campaign against a man who doesn't seem to believe in democracy. But then little D democracy because, well, voting in a pandemic, potentially in the middle of a blizzard, is uh, not the best. Can you tell us how you, as you've organized around this um, pandemic, how has the pandemic factored into your thinking and organizing and the work that you all are doing uh, to prepare uh, in Wisconsin for the election and to get out the vote? The pandemic has changed everything. Uh, Normally in Wisconsin, elections are won and lost on election day. And the way you win is by massively organizing to have people knock on every possible door and talk to people face to face. And that had been our plan for 2020. And then the pandemic hit. And in Wisconsin, unlike any other state, we had a statewide general election three and a half weeks after the stay-at-home orders went out. Hmm. And we got a dress rehearsal for the fall. Now, at the time, we hoped that the pandemic would be under control in the fall. But we basically took this risk of switching to a totally virtual organizing model at a time when people you know, were, were being told to stay home and not gather in groups larger than 10 and so forth. And in the spring Supreme Court election in Wisconsin, we switched totally to focusing on helping people vote by mail and navigate this labyrinth Republicans had erected to to get an absentee ballot. You need to upload a photo of your voter ID or mail one in, which is like, you know, hostile to people who don't have that ID that Republicans want you to have or people who don't know how to upload a photo of your ID. Uh, One local clerk told me a thousand senior citizens had uploaded selfies thinking that that would count. And, (laughs) you know, of course, it doesn't count. So. We built this voter protection team and we integrated it with the organizing team and we ran nightly webinars training all our volunteers on how to do virtual organizing. We did friend banking, text banking, phone banking, and all of that um, helped to drive this moment when Democrats in Wisconsin voted, smashed every record from presidential elections in a state Supreme Court race and Mm -hmm. cast more than a billion votes, excuse me, more than a million votes by mail. And when the results came out, we were stunned because it turned out Uh, We had won absentee ballots by 10 percentage points more than we'd won in-person votes. And Mm. we we defeated, only for the second time in half a century, a uh, a sitting state Supreme Court justice. Um, And that gave us all this learning about how to to fight in these conditions. And as we go into the fall, the records that we set this spring are falling day by day. So we have like 860,000, as of today, absentee ballots already returned in Wisconsin. Um, the total electorate in 2016 was 3 million. So this is a significant chunk of the total electorate. And we're still more than two weeks out from the election. Um, we are 
organizing people to vote in lots of different ways to kind of flatten the curve and make sure we don't get jammed in any particular one. This spring, we actually had um, the crush of absentee ballots that people weren't expecting led to uh, you know, a whole bunch of challenges and problems. Now people are ready for it. The return rate is being smoothed out day by day. So it's not a sudden crush at the end. Early vote in person starts on Tuesday. So there's a whole world of people that we know we're, we're going to be organizing to do that. And then for election day, um, in the spring, poll workers dropped out en masse because of the threat of COVID. Most poll workers were senior citizens. So we've been running six nights a week uh, phone banks to recruit young poll workers. And like 90% of them are not seniors in a place mm -hmm. like Milwaukee. So in the spring, it went down to five polling places in the entire city. Uh, we're looking at 173 as we go into November 3rd. And that is a, a world of difference that effectively uh, removes the risk of these massive lines that you see in places where Republicans control the election machinery or when there's not enough preparation for coronavirus. You know, lines suppress votes. And if we make it easier for people to be able to cast votes quickly and conveniently, more people are going to do it. Mm. What um, what are you hearing with respect to there, there seems to be a, a, a clear um, a, a clear conflict in, in a lot of people's minds about do I vote on Election Day or do I vote early? If I vote on Election Day, I know that my vote will be counted faster, that it will uh, count toward that that key election night total, considering the fact that Donald Trump has already pushed uh, to have a quote unquote winner announce on election day, however uh, a democratic that is. Um, and then, but if I vote early, probably safer, um, and potentially more reliable, how are you guys thinking about, um, your message to Wisconsin voters, uh, about when to vote, uh, trading off safety and, um, uh, you know, night of, uh, consequences. So they're kind of lucky, reality is that we're best off if different people have different plans. Um, we're going to, we're going to have the most successful result if we have a ton of absentee ballots and a ton of early voting in person, and then, uh, you know, a bunch more people voting in person on election day, um, that reduces the risk of lots of people in the same space. It also, uh, you know, makes it more likely that people will be able to vote quickly, both early and on election day. And, uh, cities have been working around the clock to get ready for a huge number of absentee ballots. So I think we're going to have mm -hmm. a lot of returns that are released that night, some of them late that night. Uh, but it's, you know, Wisconsin is not in a place where we're not going to see the returns until multiple days after, unless something goes horribly wrong and sideways, which happens this year. I recognize that, but that, you know, the kind of disaster scenarios will affect votes cast in person as well if they take place. Uh, we, I think we really have an infrastructure that's ready to go. And the shift to hand-marked paper ballots with absentee ballots actually increases election security. So, mm -hmm. you know, in two-thirds of Wisconsin precincts, they use hand-marked paper ballots read by machine, but one-third had a touchscreen that generated a paper receipt. Um, you know, I both, there's a lot of testing, like I'm confident about the security of both, but actually you're you're definitely sure there's a paper record of your vote if you have it in a you know sealed witnessed envelope uh, that you've mailed in and then you can go online and check that it's been received and clerks now if there's a problem with their witness signature or whatever they can mark that there's a problem send it back to you to get it fixed like there's a lot of advantages to to absentee voting and um, i think that trump has been you know going after these votes by mail because they mess with his plans they're harder for him to control, but the the effect of what he's doing has backfired. He suppressed his own vote by mail, um, and we're we're seeing a ton of people do it on on our side. So our message is, you know, make a plan to vote that works for you. Tell us what it is. We will support you in doing it. 
Um, if you're going to vote by mail, do it as early as possible. If you have an absentee ballot, send it in now so that if there's a problem, we can detect it and fix it. And then if you get close to election day, hand deliver your absentee ballot or early vote in person. The, the last piece is that in Wisconsin, there's same day voter registration and same day voter registration starts when early vote starts on Tuesday. So if you're in, you know, wherever you are, Milwaukee, Madison, Merrill, uh, you can go to your clerk's office or early vote location, bring your proof of residence and bring your voter ID and you know, your driver's license or whatever. And you can actually register and cast your ballot right there and then. And that has been a huge source of votes. Um, you know, 10 to 15% of all the votes cast in our state have come from same day registrants. And mm -hmm. it's something that um, getting so many votes in from people already registered by mail allows us to focus on churning out previously unregistered voters in the home stretch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's, that's fantastic. And I, you know, I think that approach that you're taking about saying, in effect, there's, there's no wrong vote and the multiplicity of voting, uh, protects the, the full voting enterprise for people, uh, is really profound. I, I get a lot of those questions, you know, which is the best way to vote? And, you know, and the, the point that I always make is when you have a secure vote that hits a ballot box, <laughs> that's the best way to vote. Right. And, um, and so, uh, I, I really appreciate that. Of course, you know, COVID-19, um, isn't just a question around the tactics of voting but it's also around the substance of voting. And I'm wondering, you know, as you have talked to, to, to Wisconsin voters, how has this pandemic shaped their decision-making about uh, who they're going to vote for and, uh, and why? The virus has fundamentally reshaped the race and it's done it at several levels. First, there are a ton of folks, especially older Wisconsinites, who just feel the threat so personally and are watching a president like actively sabotage the response that we need to have and watching Republicans in Wisconsin's state legislature do the same thing. Uh, Republicans here sued and got the uh, partisans on the state Supreme Court to strike down our stay home order. And, and you know, Wisconsin has one of the most explosive uh, coronavirus pandemics in the country as a result. So a lot of voters have turned on Republicans because of their coronavirus response. Uh, also, the virus has had massively disproportionate uh, harm to black and brown communities. And so it has made so visible these gaping racial disparities in the state of Wisconsin around healthcare, around, you know, access to, um, to, to different kinds of support and around the different economic realities that leave so many black and brown Wisconsinites as essential workers who don't have, who both have to go to work mm. and don't have health insurance provided by that workplace. And so I, I think it has underscored the reckoning with racism that we have, are continuing to go through as a state. And the third thing is the economic toll of the virus across lines of race. Uh, there are so many you know, folks whose hours have been reduced, whose jobs have disappeared, whose businesses have had to shutter because this virus still is raging. Mm -hmm. And you know, as Joe Biden says, you can't get the economy back until you control the virus. Mm -hmm. So all three of those things, you know, Trump went into this year as, as, um, Mr. Economy and the economy's imploded because he's refused to actually acknowledge the reality of the pandemic. And meanwhile, Wisconsin now is in it. It's just a massive spike moment. Hospitals are filling up, uh, field hospitals actually being created again. Uh, we had one this, this spring that wasn't used. It looks like it's, you know, tragically likely to be used now. Um, mm. this is all happening politically at the worst possible time for Trump. Um, but I, I wish it weren't happening at all. I'd rather win on something else. But it, mm -hmm. it does make it clear that Republicans refuse to listen to science and to make the hard choices to actually help people. And it hurts everyone.
Yeah, I mean that the last point you made, I think, is 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 profoundly important. Nobody, nobody at all, uh, wants to be dealing with this. But we certainly don't want to be dealing with this as we are in a scenario where the reason our pandemic is is the worst in the world per capita, and. Uh, you know, the, the only similar country in its uh, depth of COVID-19 pain is India. Uh, and that's largely because of failed leadership, right? Pandemics are not about a virus. They're about uh, people making bad decisions. And, um, uh, you know, our country, unfortunately, has been the, uh, the the example of that. And, you know, we're seeing the consequences in Wisconsin. I, I was going to ask about um, the impact that this surge has had on the way that people are are appreciating and understanding the imminence of this pandemic in the way that it shapes lives. But it seems like it's very clearly um, reminding everybody exactly what failure uh, has meant and what it could t- could continue to mean um, under this uh, administration. Well, we uh, deeply appreciate you taking the time to to chat with us. We do ask every um, every guest on the show. Uh, how you're spending your days. I have a good sense of what that looks like, but walk us through what it's like to be uh, the chair of the Democratic Party in one of the most important swing states in one of the most important elections uh, in U.S. history, Ben. So I think of this moment, these last 15 days, as a gift, a gift that each of us has more than almost any other time in history. All of us who are alive and in the United States right now have a chance to shape every human life that will ever be lived. What we do in these next two weeks is going to shape history. And I have a particular perch as a state party chair to be able to try to help do that. And so uh, I I wake up usually trying to think about what could go so wrong that it could lead to an outcome that we can't accept and then try to figure out what we can do to stop that from happening. Um, I... Uh, devour, you know, news and polling information, and there's a, a, a flood of it. One thing I'm really excited about right now is that there are more state legislative races in play in Wisconsin than Republicans had ever dreamed might be possible. And without getting into details, I'm, I'm, yeah, find that extremely interesting. But I'm, I'm kind of simultaneously preparing for the nightmare scenario where this gets incredibly close, and the scenario where things get better and better politically. And I'm trying to make sure that we are ready for either scenario. You know what I mean? Because you, you, mm-hmm. it is this is a year of so much unpredictability. Um, so I'm in strategy briefings with my team, with our, uh, with elected, you know, with candidates, elected, our partners, um, still actively fundraising to be able to, you know, pay for, for different chunks of stuff, a ton of time talking to reporters. Um, we have, I'm speaking at county party meetings around the state and kickoffs for our virtual phone banks. Uh, when I can, I you know, join the phone banks and talk to voters. Uh, we've had this string of amazing events with cultural figures where they've basically done like reunions of their, you know, shows that they were on or, mm. or we did a script read of the princess bride, which was totally amazing with the original mm. cast. Um, so every, you know, every week or two, I have something like that, which is a highlight. Um, I see my kids in the morning. They have a practice now of everyone piling into the bed really early and <laughs> having a pillow fight. <laughs> and then I like pop back up for about 15 minutes around dinner. And then I try to read their bedtime story. Um, but it's a lot of the days in my basement on Zoom calls and phone calls and sometimes, you know, Zoom and phone and texting simultaneously. Um, it is a it's just a whirlwind because new stuff comes in that scrambles your plans, but also you have to hold the long-term vision in hand all the time. And so there's actually a piece of my time that I may be most proud of working with our team. And we have an amazing group of folks here on thinking about 
what happens, you know, election day, the days after the election, and then the whole 22 cycle as well, and doing long-term planning uh, with lots of different, you know, potential scenarios and paths so that we're, we're constantly doing what's here and also ready for what's next. And um, I feel like if anything is, if we learned anything from the last four years, uh, it's that you have to stretch your imagination and prepare for a lot of different possibilities because uh, the whoever, who's ever writing the script likes to insert a lot of cliffhangers. Uh, mm. And we, we've got to be ready to, uh, to dive into the next scene. Well, um, hopefully we won't face one on November 3rd uh, because of your amazing work. Really grateful for you and your time and your effort. Uh, and uh, wishing you all safety and good health and good luck uh, out in Wisconsin. We'll, um, from the neighboring state uh, to your uh, to your east, uh, we wish you well. Thank you so much. Good luck to all of us. As usual, here's what I'm watching right now. We continue to set daily case records in states all over the country, and yet there continues to be zero national strategy to take on the pandemic. In case it's not obvious yet, I am a lot more worried about the consequences of this surge than I have been at any time in the middle of this pandemic. Here are three reasons why. First, COVID is everywhere, and so it's going to be bringing COVID-19 into hospitals that aren't as well equipped for it as we discussed. Second, people really aren't taking the surge as seriously as we need to. We've been through this before, we're telling each other. No, we haven't been through this before. Not like this. We've got to be taking this more seriously before it is too late. Third, Governors were the most important leaders in the earliest days of the pandemic. Their quick, decisive leadership in calling and enforcing states of emergency were critical to saving hundreds of thousands of lives. One study by researchers at Imperial College London and Oxford University found that stay-home orders were critical to reducing mobility and saved lives. But in purple states with Democratic governors but Republican-leaning legislatures and courts, those legislatures and courts have acted to strip their governors of their all-important emergency powers. That's what happened in Ben's state of Wisconsin and my state of Michigan, which means that governors won't have the power to save lives this time around, which is why next week's election is so absolutely critical. We're not just voting for a new president, but we're voting for state and local officials up and down the ballot too. And with governors stripped of their powers, it'll fall to the federal government and local governments to act. Let's make sure we've got people who believe in science doing that acting. And that's why it's critical for you to vote. Make a plan. There are less than seven days left, but you don't have to wait until then to get your vote in. There are plenty of options to vote early and safely. Visit votesaveamerica.com plan to make your plan. Find your voting location and vote as soon as you can. Now, I know that a lot of you have already voted. That's amazing, but your job isn't over yet. Now we have to make sure everyone else votes. How do we do that? It's easy. We take a few minutes out of our days. Minutes that we'd otherwise be spending anxious about polls or scrolling through Twitter aimlessly or whatever it is getting out the vote. You can go to votesaveamerica.com slash volunteer to find all your options to get involved between now and election day. And in case you're interested in calling Michiganders, I'm asking you for a birthday present. That's right. I'm turning 36 on Saturday. I am a Halloween baby. And for my birthday, I'm asking you to sign up for our Vote Save the Mitten phone bank on October 29th. Again, you can just go to votesaveamerica.com slash volunteer to sign up. I'll see you there. America Dissected is a product of Crooked Media. Our producer is Austin Fisher. Charlotte Landis mixes and masters the show. Production support from Tara Terpstra, Lyra Smith, and Allison Falzetta. The theme song is by Takayasuzawa and Alex Ubiera. Our executive producers are Sarah Geismer and me, Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, your host. Thanks for listening. 